And welcome to a post-Super Bowl edition of the Andy Staples Show. I know what you're thinking. This is a college football show. What do you, what do you have to do with the Super Bowl? Well, they all played in college. Damian Williams played at Oklahoma. Patrick Mahomes played at Texas Tech. Jimmy Garoppolo played at Eastern Illinois. But we're not really going to talk that much about the Super Bowl. We're going to talk a little about the Super Bowl. But I gave you guys a little homework assignment during the game because I know that some of you guys are not entirely engaged with the Super Bowl while the Super Bowl is going on. You are when the commercials are on, yes, but not necessarily during the game, though this year's game was pretty fantastic. So most of these questions came in early, and you heard questions, so you know where I'm going with this. Dear Andy Live, on tape, but not really tape because we don't use tape anymore. I promise we'll come up with a better name for this segment eventually, but for now, it's what we got. Some great questions came in during the Super Bowl, and I will do my best to answer them. And then, of course, we're going to have a random ranking. Not so random this week. The top five Super Bowl commercials. There were some good ones. Altogether, kind of a lame output from America's advertisers. But there were some high marks. There's some good spots. We'll hit the top five. It was actually got a little, little thin there toward number five, but... There's some good ones at the top, I promise. But first, we got to answer your questions. Some really good questions coming in. First one from Graham. And this was, you you probably know exactly where in the game Graham asked this question. Uh, Middle of the first half, you saw a couple speed option plays that the Chiefs ran with great success. And Graham asked, is it hilarious that the 49ers look befuddled by the speed option when it exists in every playbook at every level below the NFL? Graham is not wrong on this. <laughs> Graham is absolutely right. Speed option is a play you see in high school. You, well, you see it in Pop Warner High School. Definitely see it in college. And it's, it's kind of the preferred play, especially on third and short, when you have a quarterback who's a pretty good runner, but not exactly known for it. So you know that defensive end is going to come crashing hard and not really expect the pitch or expect the pitch and go after it. And what you saw was they crashed hard on Patrick Mahomes on one play and, and he pitched it and then they didn't crash very much. and He winds up scoring a touchdown. So here's the deal, Graham. Any sort of option play, whether it's the triple option, speed option, anything like that, you got to rep it in practice and you got to rep it a few times, even even with NFL players, even as highly trained and athletic as they are, they're not going to be able to just pick it up because it's an assignment related issue. And if you don't have everybody on the same page, then you got a problem. There was one particular instance of this, the one where Patrick Mahomes pitched, where Nick Bosa crashed so hard toward the quarterback that it was an obvious pitch. It was an easy one. And there was nothing the 49ers could do after that because you're, you're asking Nick Bosa to do the impossible. He's very good. As you saw most of that game, he was getting great pressure most of the game, but he can't contain the quarterback and the running back. He can't tackle them both. And somebody else needed to be there. There needed to be somebody on the quarterback, somebody on the pitch man, 
And that's more of a failure of coaching, I think, than of playing. And, well, unless we find out that there was some 49er who was supposed to be there and wasn't, but it looked like there was no, no recognition of that, that, that they didn't see that as a tendency and it wasn't something they were ready for. So I, I would, not knowing what the defensive call was, lean toward that was maybe coaching where they just had not been prepared for that because they, they looked unprepared. As good as Nick Bosa is, he's not going to tackle both those guys. Graham also, now this you, you know where this part of the game was too, are you confused by the fact that Fox put arousing content back on the Super Bowl by airing a TD catch to a fullback after the upright caused when they did it the first time with Janet Jackson? And yes, we had a fullback touchdown, and and the 49ers do use a fullback, although he's kind of an H-back. Uh, he, can, he can split out wide. He can do everything. And that was a very athletic fullback touchdown. That was a, that was a catch, make a move, break a tackle, and take it in and, and win the collision at the goal line touchdown. Uh, I believe Brett Bielema would have called it borderline erotic or just straight up erotic. Uh, and it was, you know, for football fans, very arousing content. Although the halftime show, I was a little surprised that there was no wardrobe malfunction. Earlier Sunday, I was on the radio with my friend Barrett Salee from, from CBS Sports, and uh, we worked together at Sirius XM. And he asked me, he said, there's a prop bet. Who is more likely to have a wardrobe malfunction, Jennifer Lopez or Shakira? And I said, it would probably be Jennifer Lopez because Sha- Shakira's costume people have to be so good at keeping the clothes where they are because her hips don't lie. And she's been doing this stuff for years and years and years. Remember, J-Lo's been doing the acting. She's had other things going on in her career. Shakira has been a singer slash dancer slash singer pretty much the entire time. So her wardrobe people have put in their 10,000 hours at making sure when her hips don't lie, nothing falls off. So I thought maybe it would be J-Lo if it was going to happen. It didn't happen, though not not for lack of trying. As my 10-year-old said, why do they show their butts so much? This is... This is what you get when you have kids. This is not the reaction I had to the Janet Jackson performance at the Super Bowl when I was in my 20s. But now that I have little kids, I said, they're going, yeah, why do they show their butts so much? I got kids watching this thing. Yes, I've turned into that person. I'm Karen asking to speak to the manager. I'm sorry. But all in all, very entertaining Super Bowl. Love the clash of styles on offense. I love the creativity on offense. You know, you can call what what Kyle Shanahan runs the 49ers a, a throwback because they do run the ball a lot, but they do so much with the tight end. And George Kittle, interestingly enough, was, you know, an Iowa tight end who is not really a quintessential Iowa tight end. Now, Iowa is sort of figured out how to use these guys as the years have gone on, but he's the modern tight end. And when he got to Iowa, they still wanted that in line. You better be the best blocker in the world or you're not getting on the field. So it took him a while to get out of the, you're just the wheel route guy and become a more complete tight end. He had to learn how to block, but I I find it interesting because I think if George Kittle showed up on Iowa's campus today, they would get him into the flow of the offense a lot earlier and have him doing a lot more things because that's just how football has evolved. And so I think Shanahan's offense is a great mix of new and old. And then you look at the Chiefs, 
they are pulling out college plays like speed option. Uh, they're doing all kinds of great stuff. And then you've got Patrick Mahomes just making magic sometimes. There are times where he just escapes and he finds an open guy down the field. And some of those throws were just absolutely beautiful. I can't say enough about how fun that game was to watch. And I am so glad that NFL coaches are now stealing liberally from college playbooks because it has made their game much more interesting. It's made it much more fun. The reason I like college football more is schematic diversity. I think it's more fun. Now, obviously, there's more passion around it. There's a lot more hoopla surrounding the games. But the fun part of the football is that there are so many differences in the way people play. The NFL, for a long, long time, it didn't seem like anybody wanted to be different at all. Now everybody kind of wants to be different in their own way. And I, that, I think that's great. I think that's good for the game. And it's brought me back as a fan because I watched it because I kind of had to. You have to kind of be conversant in it when you're a sports writer. And obviously, I wanted to know what teams needed for the draft when I had to, to do pre-draft coverage on the guys I covered in college. But for the most part, it wasn't particularly fun. It was more like doing my homework. Now I actually enjoy watching those games. So excited to see going forward what they do and, and what they do in the draft. And uh, I will say, if you look at what happened tonight, the one piece of advice I, I like to always give, unless you think it's Adrian Peterson, don't pick a running back near the top of the first round. Now, if you're the Chiefs and J.K. Dobbins is sitting there at the end of the first round, yeah, go ahead. Make yourselves even better. That's great. But if you're a bad team picking in the top five, you need something else. I promise. You, you need offensive line help, or you need a pass rusher, or you need a quarterback. Do that first. The 49ers are in the Super Bowl because they loaded up on defensive linemen. They kept picking defensive linemen, whether it was DeForest Buckner, Nick Bosa, Eric Armstead. They just kept picking defensive linemen. Solomon Thomas. And what you saw was great pressure and, I mean, they held Patrick Mahomes in check for most of the game. But that's why they're in the Super Bowl. And then you look on the other side. Damian Williams, undrafted. Hero of the Super Bowl for the Chiefs. Undrafted. So that's the, the, the piece of advice from Uncle Andy. If you're picking in the top 10, unless it is the second coming of Adrian Peterson, skip the running backs. Just Wait. You can pick up some value in, in the second, third round. Now, if you're at the end of the first round and somebody's good and they fall to you, by all means, Sony Michelle to the, to the Patriots. Go for it. If the Chiefs can draft J.K. Dobbins, do it. But not in the top 10. Just don't do it. Look, look at what you saw tonight. Damian Williams, Raheem Mostert. Those teams got to the Super Bowl. You don't need it. Pick D-linemen, pick pass rushers, pick quarterbacks. Just do that. All right. We move on to our next question. This comes from Mary. And this is more of a straight college football question. Why go after a portal or graduate transfer quarterback if you already have multiple quarterbacks? Or any position if there's already plenty on the roster? What does that do to the people already on the team? Well, I hate to be overly simplistic with this, Mary, but... You do it because you think that person's better than the guys you've got. And now that may not be true. And that's where, where this becomes an issue is if you always feel like you need to go into the portal and get someone, especially a quarterback, 
that means you don't think you can actually develop anybody. Now, I, I know a bunch of you are going, wait, Oklahoma, Oklahoma. That's right. Three consecutive transfer quarterbacks. Two of them won the Heisman. Two of them were the number one overall pick. All three of them went to New York. I get that. But who's going to start next year? Probably Spencer Rattler, guy they, guy they recruited. I think it's one of those that when you bring those guys in, you bring them in because you either want to push who you have or you've just decided that who you have isn't good enough and you need something better. And as far as the other guys on the team, whether it's a quarterback, offensive tackle, defensive tackle, doesn't matter. What it should do to them is say, uh-oh, coach doesn't think I'm getting it done. I better work harder and get it done. That's the desired result. Now, the result may be, oh, they're recruiting over me. I'm out of here. Okay, that's fine, too. You're probably adding by subtracting in that case. So in life, there are going to be new people. They might be better than you, or they might be perceived to be better than you. You got to try to be better than them, because they're always going to be trying to take your spot. That's not a football thing. That's an everyday life thing. So that's a lesson you learn playing sports. And if they feel bad about the coach bringing in a transfer, too bad. Beat the guy out. That's all there is to it. Now, I think there's a, you know, the situation down at Miami is, is probably a prime example. Those quarterbacks had chances. Jaron Williams and Nikosi Perry had plenty of chances to lead Miami's offense. They didn't do it particularly effectively. So they went out and got De'Aaron King. Now Jaron Williams is in the portal. I would assume Nikosi Perry will be too. Derek King has proven himself as a college quarterback. He's been good at Houston. So will he come in with the benefit of the doubt? Absolutely. He's earned that by being good in an offense. So does that mean he's going to be the starter? Not if somebody beats him out. But my guess is he's going to beat everybody out. And that's why they brought him in. So I, I think the, the best person to really answer Mary's question is our good friend Dan Hawkins, former Colorado coach. I think he said it better than, than any of us could. It's Division One football! It's the Big 12! It ain't either murals! You got two weeks after finals, you got a week of July 4th, and you got a week before camp starts. That's a month! That's probably more vacation than you guys get! And we're a little bummed out that we don't get three weeks. Go play intramurals, brother. Go play intramurals. That is Dan Hawkins. The problem is, if you play intramurals, you can get beat out, too. That's one of the unfortunate realities of sports, but also one of the great things that sports does to teach us all good life lessons. So that, that's what's going on. This one is from John, and it was typed... With tongue squarely in cheek. At least I think so. No, I, John tweets at me a lot, so I, I, think I've, I think I've got him down. Tell me about how North Carolina is going to go undefeated in the Coastal Division and beat Clemson in the ACC Championship game. Good talk. All right, John. This is John making fun of us making North Carolina the trendy pick to win the Coastal and then play Clemson for the ACC title next year. And we will. If we have not already... We will. We're going to look at Sam Howell and the great freshman year he had and the fact that a lot of those receivers are back. Phil Longo's back running that offense. Mac Brown clearly knows what he's doing in recruiting. We're going to say this is the best team in the Coastal. 
They're going to win it this year. They're going to win it next year. And you know what? I think I'm going to do that too. But the fact of the matter is, North Carolina played a ton of close games this year. It could have gone the other way where they won a bunch. It could have gone the other way where they lost more. But they were ahead of schedule. If you'd have told me this year, going into the season, that North Carolina was going to make a bowl game and win it and beat a pretty good Temple team and beat them badly, I would have said, no way. That's they're, they're not ready for that yet. But after that first game against South Carolina, when you, we saw Sam Howell, you saw how cool he, he is under the pressure, you thought, all right, absolutely, this team could be better than we thought. And as the season went on, they did get better. Now, they did a few things that we, we kind of thought they would, like they lost to Appalachian State. They, they were not perfect along the way. But you saw them really ramp it up toward the end of the season when they kind of grasped the offense a little more. And I've talked to, to Sam Howell and to Phil Longo, the offensive coordinator, about that in the last few weeks. And they both said that it really was November before everything truly started clicking. And you saw it against NC State. You saw it against Temple. Now, will you see that sort of thing if they play Clemson? Who knows? They, they played Clemson better than anybody up until LSU played Clemson. So I'm, I'm fascinated by North Carolina because we are going to heap those expectations on them. And I don't know if they're going to be able to handle that. I don't know if they're going to be able to handle the pressure of coming from a position where everyone expects them to win the division. Because, you know, I just mentioned Miami's got De'Ara King now. That makes them different. Virginia Tech was very good at the end of the season. They got better and better. Now, they lost to Virginia and didn't win the Coastal. But Virginia Tech sort of found itself toward the second half of last season. So there's a chance there's more competition in the Coastal than we think. And we still don't know if Virginia's going to completely fall off just because Bryce Perkins is leaving. I think Bronco Mendenhall has done a pretty good job of building there. I think he's got a pretty good base there and a good foundation. So... I don't know that we should be handing the division to North Carolina just quite yet, but we're going to do it. So, John, it's your team. Enjoy it. Strap in. And who knows? Maybe we'll be proven right for once. We're usually really bad at those predictions, especially involving the ACC Coastal. But just this once, you should hope that, that we're right. All right. Here's one from Mohammed. What do you think about installing a salary cap or a spending cap in college football? At a certain point, the college arms race facilities gets ridiculous, and the amount of analysts on the sideline will outnumber players. I think this would solve the problem of the haves and have-nots in college football and level the playing field while justifying to taxpayers universities aren't spending university money unwisely. So here's the thing. The ones that are hiring all the analysts aren't really spending any university money. They're spending TV money. They're spending donor money. So it's not like they're just taking it from the humanities department. But if you make a rule, those schools are still going to care more than the schools that don't have that kind of money. So they're just going to get more money, and they're going to find another way. And here's the other part. You can't make a rule. <laughs> That's the biggest problem. There's no rule that you can make. They've made rules where you cap the amount of assistant coaches on the field. You cap the amount of, of strength coaches. But you can't make any rule that caps the total amount of people in the program because if you do that, you're going to be ripe for an antitrust lawsuit. Remember, the NCAA lost a suit like this in the 90s. They had this, this deal called a restricted earnings coach. And basically, it was 
coaches in, in sports like baseball where you could hire a coach, but his salary was capped. It's the, pretty much the only time they've ever had a salary cap for the grownups. They've always had a salary cap for the players that the players didn't really get a chance to negotiate, but they don't have one for the grownups because they got taken to court and they got taken to the cleaners. They lost badly. These are competitors. They're not allowed to cap a labor market. They're just not. They're not allowed to come together and cap a labor market. Competitors aren't allowed to do that in America. You're supposed to compete for employer, you know, as an employer, you're supposed to compete for the best employees. And so there's not much you can do in terms of a rule. If you make that rule, you're going to lose money because they're going to take you to court and you're going to lose. So that's the issue. As far as haves and have-nots, there will always be haves and have-nots in college football. I get back to what I said earlier. Some places care more than others. You can't make a place care where they don't. And if they don't care as much as they care at Alabama or Ohio State, well, too bad. You know, they're, that's the only way to make this work. Because Alabama and Ohio State are obsessed with winning at football. They're going to do what they have to do to win at football. They're going to spend the money they need to spend to win at football. If you don't care that much, well, they're probably going to be better than you. That's just how it goes. So you know, the people who want to cap it, it's not going to work. You can't do that. You, you have to negotiate. And the other problem is this is, this, is, this is universities that are state institutions in different states that have different laws, different labor laws. It would be almost impossible. It's different in a private organization like the NFL. You, you just can't do it in college. Now, there's one way to change the facilities arms race. You could give some money to the players. Then they wouldn't have as much to buy waterfalls for the football facility. And they don't really need the waterfalls anyway. So that would be the way to do it. But again, you would be complaining because the players at the schools that care would have more than the players at the schools that don't care. Well, that's just how it goes. So... Moral of the story, you want to win? Care. Pay and care. That's how you win. All right. One more, and this is from MC. And I think this was also typed with tongue planted firmly in cheek. I believe Alabama will have the best defense ever next year. True or false? I'm going to say false, but not because I don't think Alabama's defense is going to be good. I actually think Alabama's defense is going to be really good next year. Dylan Moses is back. I think Alabama, had they had Dylan Moses this year, would have been really good, or at least a lot better than they were. Uh, they were playing a ton of freshmen. They're, those guys kind of got thrown into the fire this year. They were not particularly great up front. They're going to be good up front now that those guys have some seasoning. They always seem to be good in the secondary. The, the 2013-2014 was kind of the, the only time where it felt like they just couldn't get that figured out. They, they've had that figured out really since Nick Saban went to the, the idea of playing five guys who were recruited as corners as your DBs. Where, where you find now, you're getting guys out of high school now who play safety who look like corners used to look. They, they just, they've adjusted to the game. And it took them a little bit, but they did that. So in the secondary, I have no problem there. 
linebacker, they're going to be so much better next year with Dylan Moses back. The front is going to be better. You know, DJ Dale just got thrown in there. What, what was he supposed to do? You know, you expect him to be as good as Quinn and Williams or Deron Payne. It was amazing that Quinn and Williams replaced Deron Payne, not only with no drop-off, but he actually was a little bit better. That was stunning. You're not going to see that happen very often. That usually takes some time to develop a guy like that and, and get him where he can be that dominant. So I think they'll be better up front. But as far as, as the best ever, I'm now looking at Alabama's defensive stats from 2011. They're obscene. You're not going to find anything like that now because the offenses have changed. And even Alabama's offense has changed where they're running so many more plays. Their defense sees so many more plays. It's just not going to – it won't be as dominant. You know, Alabama's 2011 defense gave up 3.3 yards a play. That's nuts. The best team in the country this year defensively was Ohio State at 4.1, and the second best was Utah at 4.6. So it, it it's – I'm sorry, that I got that wrong. The second best was Georgia at 4.3. So that's a huge jump when you're talking about one yard a play essentially – between the best then and the best now. The game's just changed. So you're not going to see Alabama's defense dominate the way it used to, but it's going to be a good one. It's going to be one of the better ones in the country next year. And I know there's a lot of people who keep waiting for the Alabama dynasty, whatever it is, to end, and they say, oh, they didn't make the playoff this year, so it must be over. It's not over. (laughs) They're still really good. Nick Saban is still recruiting at a very high level. They're going to be pretty good. But I think, I think MC knows that probably not going to be the most dominant ever just because of the way the game is now. I think that 2011 group is probably fairly safe in terms of keeping those marks. All right, it is now time for our random ranking. Not so random this week, again. I do this pretty much every year. I rank the Super Bowl commercials. It's fun. I told you before... For a while there, I thought the NFL was super boring, so the commercials were the best part of the game for me. That's changed, obviously, in the last couple of years. But there were some great commercials this year. Some iffy ones, too, but I, I just there were, there were a couple that struck me, and so I'm going to give you my top five Super Bowl commercials. And we'll start at number five with Winona in Winona. Winona Ryder in Winona, Minnesota, in what appears to be a Fargo spoof for Squarespace. Excuse me, ma'am. What you doing over there? I'm building a website. About what? Winona. Oh. It's got pictures on it. I like pictures. Yeah, me too. That's why I'm making it. Okay, then. Bye-bye now. Tremendous. And I know this worked because immediately after my son, the 10-year-old, starts screaming, it's got pictures on it, and said it like five times. So that means it's stuck. Now, I don't know if he knows it was for Squarespace. That's the real measure of whether the commercial was good is do you know who what they were advertising? But she was making a website. It's got pictures on it, and you can do that at Squarespace. So I think that one landed, and I just, I, you know, 
given my age, Winona Ryder was a, a big time actress in my generation. You know, she came back on Stranger Things, and uh, just to see her doing the accent right and the 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 Fargo pitch perfect spoof. It's a great movie. The TV series is fantastic too. They had the tone downright. That was a great one. We go to number four. Our friend Brian Cranston, Walter White from Breaking Bad. This man can do anything. Well, he was asked to be Jack Nicholson in The Shining, except for a Mountain Dew commercial. Come out, come out, wherever you are. <laughs> I've got a new Mountain Dew Zero Sugar with the same refreshing taste as the original. But without any of the sugar! <laughs> Here's Mountain Dew Zero. I am thirsty. Huh? Zero sugar. I do appreciate that he played both little girls in the hallway, too. That was outstanding. So, great work, Brian Cranston. Thank you for that one. Number three, one that's a product that may be very popular in my house. Uh, a lot of Cheetos fans in the house, but Cheetos popcorn sounds especially good. But you know what happens when you eat Cheetos. You get the dust all over your fingers. You can't do anything. Well, they, they made fun of that finally, where they had a bunch of people holding up their hands with the Cheeto dust on them, saying they couldn't do something. And of course, they had the perfect song to soundtrack that. And the guy who made that song famous. Cheetos has popcorn now? Hey, I'm going to need you to... Never mind. Can't touch this. Help. You can't touch this. You can't touch this. You can't touch this. Get it off. Nope. I trust you. Why? Have a time. I touched it. New Cheetos popcorn. It's a Cheetos thing. Just perfect. Just perfect, but not as perfect as this because the Super Bowl this year fell on Groundhog Day. And you know what that means. Somebody needed to pay Bill Murray a lot of money. Fortunately, they paid Bill Murray a lot of money, and Stephen Tobolowski, I'm sure, got a nice paycheck out of this. Bill Murray for Jeep reprising his role as Phil from Groundhog Day. This one was awesome. Okay, campers, rise and shine. It's Groundhog Day. And don't oh, forget no. your booties because it's cold out there today. Phil? Hey, Phil. No, not you. It's I me, man, Ryerson. Okay, little fella. Good job. That's different. Good job. Hey! He got the Groundhog! <laughs> Phil? You're gonna freeze to death. Who cares? See you tomorrow. Safety first. Yeah. He got the groundhog, Phil. It's not personal. It's just a game. Not a bad day, huh? I don't know where we parked. I was following you.
tremendous. When he says it's not personal, it's just a game. He's playing whack-a-mole as the groundhog looks on. It was beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. But not the best commercial of this Super Bowl. The best commercial was for Hyundai. And they got Chris Evans, Captain America himself, Rachel Dratch from Saturday Night Live fame, and John Krasinski, former comedian, now director and action star, to do their best Boston accents and talk about a car that can park itself. Oh, look at this guy. Hey, Rachel, how are you? Hey, good. How are you? He's not getting that car in there. No, sir. Look at these two troublemakers. Hey, Johnny, how are you? Wicked car. Is that new? Yeah, it's a Sonata. Let me pack it. Oh, you're not fitting your car in there. Chris, stop being a smarty pants, all right? Look who's got smart pack. Smart pack? Just hit the clicker, car packs itself. It's smart. It's wicked smart. And I can pack it anywhere. How about Dorchester? Packed it. Foxborough. Packed it. The Garden? Packed it. Saugus? Packed it. Swampscott? Revere? The Harbor? Are you kidding me? I packed it and then unpacked it. You unpacked it? Kid. Game changer. That Sonata ain't got no driver. That's all right. He's got smart pack. Hey, you can pack there. He's got smart pack. Hey, whoa, whoa. It's Big Poppy. Wicked smart. This is a ghost car. A better way to park. Only available on the all-new Sonata with remote smart parking assist. Sorry about that, your bigness. Did you guys know he lived there? I had no idea. It was hilarious. It showed what the thing does. You actually remember the thing they were trying to advertise. Best Super Bowl commercial of the year. And maybe one of the best ever. You may feel like I'm being overly enthusiastic about this. You may feel like the Groundhog Day one was better. But in a year, you're not going to remember what Bill Murray was advertising. They explained exactly what they were advertising there. So that commercial worked. Guys, it has been a pleasure. This was a great football season. It's now over. Super Bowl's done. NFL's done. We got signing day coming up. Not nearly as interesting as it used to be because most people sign in December. But signing day is Wednesday, so we'll have lots of stuff for you on the Andy Staples Show. We'll be talking to some coaches. We'll be talking to our friends at The Athletic. We got a lot of stuff to cover in the offseason. Don't worry. We're going to keep you entertained, informed. I know it's a long, long time until there's another football game. Don't worry. I'll be here for you. We'll talk to you soon.